Hi, my name is Janelle Riley. I'm an editor at Variety. I'm so thrilled to be here for this In Creative Company Q&A with Better Call Saul. Please join me in welcoming today's guests who spent six seasons as Nacho Varga on the show, Michael Mando. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Janelle. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Absolutely. Congratulations on a fantastic season. Um, before we get to Better Call Saul, uh, and there will be spoilers. I'm warning people watching. You can't discuss this without spoilers. I love to go back to the beginning and ask, what was your first job as an actor? Oh, wow. Um, well, thank you for the intro. My first job uh, was in the theater. I started off in the theater. I studied three years of theater. I did contemporary and classical theater. And my first real job, my first paying gig, I played Scapin in the uh, Fourberie de Scapin, which is a play by Moliere. And it's, a, it's very much the, an Arlecchino type character. That's so cool. And then I know you have kind of, I know this from my gamer friends, that you have kind of the coolest discovery story. You kind of, your career sort of broke out through a video game, right? Yes, it did. It, it, was, it was a real accident. It, uh, it was really, I, it, I didn't know what viral meant, but I had done a monologue that was face, body, and voice. So it was literally being inside the video game and the character looks exactly like you. And Ubisoft had put the monologue on the E3, um, convention in Los Angeles. And within a week, the monologue had over 5 million views. And that really was my breakout, my breakout moment. I mean, you got like a movie and everything out of this character, right? Right. It was an interesting thing because the character looked like me and it was literally me inside the video game. We did a live action movie as the character in Thailand. We shot that with Christopher Mintz Plus. And that, that also went viral. It had about like 10 million views on YouTube. And that was really the beginning of my you know, kind of official career. That's so great. Yeah, it's funny because even like some of my friends who don't watch Better Call Saul, they know you from that and they say it's the hugest thing ever. Yeah, well, thank you so much. It was a real, it was really a twist of faith. You know, it's, I never thought in a million years that that's, that would be the beginning of how my, how I broke into the movie business, but it was through a video game, yeah. Right, you never know. And you probably made it and didn't think about it for like months. I, I, I did it. I didn't think about it for a month. When I first saw it, I didn't think it was good. I, I, I actually really was kind of like disappointed. And I thought, ah, it's a video game. No one's going to recognize that it's me. Wow. And then a couple of days later, my friends were calling and I go, how, how has everybody heard about this? I thought I didn't think that many people played video games. And then I realized how much people loved it and loved the character. And then I, I, it kind of grew on me and I started thinking, oh, maybe it's not so bad. Wow, that's so fun. We are our own worst critics. You know what? I'm learning. I'm learning. Um, Jeffrey Frost, the head of Sony, and I had a really nice talk, and he was telling me, you've got to learn to enjoy it. And, and I've, I really um, am, I'm, I'm learning to. I'm learning to say, you know, try to watch it with an open heart and don't be so critical or life is going to pass you by and, and you're not going to be present, you know. So when you were starting your career as an actor, did you think you were going to be like a Canadian theater actor? Which by the way, I am not shading. That would be a dream life for, for me. Um, and did this sort of change your trajectory? <laughs> yes, I actually wanted, I had no interest in film and TV to be very honest. I didn't like the proximity of the camera. I love the stage and I love the immediacy of the audience. And my goal was to open a theater company in, in Montreal and I wanted to put on Hamlet but I wanted to put on Hamlet in an urban environment that it was like two gangs, you know, the father and, and all that stuff, but put it very urban and, and have a multicultural cast. We're talking like 2000 and 
seven, 2008. And um, I, I had spoken to this church that had this huge basement that I wanted to turn into a, a theater house, but it had a beam in the middle of the, of the, the stage area and it would cost 90 grand to remove it. That's why I started doing film and TV audition. I wanted to pay to remove the beam so I could start my theater company. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I never looked back and I never went back to the theater. That's so funny because we have a theater out here with uh, a similar situation. And so we just have to work a stripper pole into all the shows. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hamlet <laughs> <laughs> comes out and he does his to be or not to be on, on a stripper pole. Cool. You'd be surprised how, how effective it can be. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so starting at the beginning with Better Call Saul, uh, you were there from the beginning in its first season. Right. Were you a fan of Breaking Bad? And when you heard there would be a spinoff, I mean, I guess it depends on how big a fan of Breaking Bad you were, but like a lot of people were excited. And I think a lot of people were a little worried because Breaking Bad is so iconic and so fantastic. And we didn't know how good Better Call Saul would be. Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, I didn't, I didn't watch, I generally don't watch a lot of TV. I, 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 I it's just, um, I, I don't know why I, I don't, you know, it's not a critique or anything. Um, I hadn't seen Breaking Bad at the time, but I had walked into the, my father's house and he was watching my, with my brothers, the last two episodes of Breaking Bad. And as I was sort of doing the dishes and preparing a sandwich, I, I had my eye on the TV and I was just blown away by how good it was. And I remember the name Vince Gilligan very clearly in my head at the end of every episode. Two weeks later, I, I have an audition and the name Vince Gilligan is on the audition page. And it felt like a moment of, of fate to me. And it, it felt it felt faded when I when I did my audition and I was about to send it at the time we were recording with a camcorder. And I realized after my friend left that we didn't record the sound. The sound wasn't recording. So I had to redo my audition like at like five in the morning as soon as the sun went up and send it again. And I felt in my heart it was going to be an important moment for me for whatever reason. So that's the, to answer the first question. And then the, the second question. Um, so I hadn't seen Breaking Bad and then I saw it and then I, I obviously loved it and saw it from the beginning as research and I, I fell in love with it. And then to answer your question, the pressure of Breaking Bad, Bob Odenkirk and I, when we first met, we sat down at a restaurant and we said we weren't going to do season seven of Breaking Bad. This was going to be season one of Better Call Saul. Still, were you relieved when you realized people were really embracing it and loving it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. We were, you know, I, 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 don't, I think I was a little naive. I don't think I understood the, the pressure at the time. I think I, I, it's only after season two or three that I realized, oh, my God, this is a this is got a lot of eyes and people are recognizing you on the street for it. Really? When they would recognize you? I mean, Nacho, despite being a career criminal, is a pretty likable guy. But would yeah. you get a little bit of like, you feel you were intimidating people? Um, you know, surprisingly, not at all. I think especially as the season started progressing, he became really a fan favorite and, and people were really rooting for him. And um, they had a real kind of emotional connection to the character. So it, he was really, um, it was a character that was really loved, a lot of fan art and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was really endearing. What did they tell you about the character going into the part? Nothing at all. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, not, I mean, all I know, I remember in the audition room, Vince Gilligan gave me a note, and it's probably one of the only character notes I ever got, which was this guy wouldn't uh, squash a bug with a sledgehammer. 
And that, that really got me thinking. And I, then from there, I did a lot of research and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But not a lot of talk about the character and where it's going. Wow. I know he's mentioned in, I think, the first episode that Saul appears in, in Breaking Bad. But it's sort of like a throwaway mention. I think he says, like, it wasn't me. It was Ignacio. But, and when you heard that, did you, like, perk up and start taking notes? Yes, I did. <laughs> I totally did. And, and they, it was like everything from Breaking Bad was informing us and feeding us to where we were going. It was a really, really interesting experience. And I was very grateful to to have had the opportunity to learn both in front and behind the camera, the writers and the producers. It was really a, a I, I feel very grateful to, to have gone through that and to learn from, from those people. Was the audition um, a scene that eventually ended up in the show or was it fake sides? That's a good question. Actually, the, neither the audition nor the character name were in the show. My character name was called Eddie in the sides. And the audition were, they were kind of like a mock audition that were written by, I think, a, a writer assistant at the time. And it was basically what it would feel like if me and Saul interacted. And it was about like a hard drive or something like that. Nothing to do with the show, but it had the the mood and the, not the mood, it had the relationship dynamics of, of our characters. Oh, that's so cool. Um, I know we have so many actors who watch these and auditions are such a strange process. I don't know a better way to do it, but they'll never feel natural, I think. Um, do you have any advice going into an audition room that's helped you over the years? Well, first of all, I like the audition room better than the Zoom. I mean, that's for me, anytime you can get into the room, I would recommend go into the room, get a feel of the room. The other thing I would tell actors is you're also auditioning them. You know, I mean, the, the reality is, you know, you don't want to work with people that you that you don't, you know, necessarily want to work with. So you're it's a two way street. So if you think about it like that, it relieves you a little bit and you go, I have a choice to say yes or no to everything. Now, of course, you have to pay the bills and et cetera, et cetera. But it's good to keep that in the back of your head that you have the power to say no. The second thing I would tell actors is um, learn to love it. Treat it like an exercise, you know, it's like pretend that, you know, you go, oh, I've got this, got this great opportunity here to exercise my acting muscles and to lose myself in a, in, a, in a scene. I get to learn something and you never know, maybe I'll get it. So if you keep those two in mind, I think it opens up the experience a little bit. Yeah. And I've heard actors say, like, this is my chance to play the role, even if it's only for two minutes in a room of six people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, going into the room, I love it because you, you, it's like theater. You know, you're, you're really giving a performance and, and you're feeding off of the audience. I, I love that uh, going into the room for sure. So when you had the role of Nacho, um, what sort of preparation did you take on to play the role? Especially if I, I don't know, like if you got all the scripts at once, I don't know if you even knew all the depths that your character would eventually reveal <clears throat> nothing at all nothing you know nothing at all and you get the script as we're going what the advantage of that as an actor is it's like being in a roller coaster ride and you have no idea when it's going to turn the second advantage of that is that you're in communication with the writers indirectly because whatever you do your interpretation of the scene informs your character in a way that you know when they get to episode eight that they haven't written yet they've got to keep in mind what you were doing in the first episodes. So it, it opens up like a ping pong dialogue between the actor and the writers, where they send you something and you say, well, this is how I interpret it. Now your character becomes that. So they send you something else and you interpret it in a second way. And there's a, there's a communication between the, the, the writers and the actor. 
um, which I like. I like. I like that a lot. I like the the roller coaster ride and the communication. At the same time, would you get your scripts every week and like check to make sure you weren't killed? Well, <laughs> hopefully, before they they kill you off, they would they would call you. But yes, the first seasons kind of were kind of weird like that. And uh, what I love the most about that is that had I kn when we started the show, I thought my character was going to be wanting to be super ambitious and to rise to the top of the cartel. By the end of the show, the character rises to the top of the cartel, but has a total shift of conscience and becomes of conscious and becomes um, sort of as the whole show's breaking bad, he starts breaking good. Mm -hmm. So the advantage of not knowing where you're going is you get that dialogue with the writers where you influence them, they influence you. And in this particular case, I think we ended up getting something better than what we had hoped for at the beginning. Really? Yeah. So you said that hopefully they give you a heads up. And again, I'm getting into spoilers here, but horrible, devastating scene. Uh, Nacho is no longer with us. Um, did they give you a heads up? Did Vince call you or? Yes, they did. I was in Montreal. It was the winter right before we started shooting. Uh, I, and uh, Melissa Bernstein called. She said, Peter and Vince want to call you and they want to talk to you. So I immediately knew, knew what it was. And I was really lucky. They told me, listen, you're going to get a feature film experience in the first three episodes. It's going to be your El Camino in the, in the show. And it's going to be a tour de force performance. It's going to be physical, emotional, psychological, with undertones of spirituality. And they said, uh, I, they, they thought that it was going to be, you know, they said they was going to break the internet. That was the word they used. And I was incredibly excited and they were right. I mean, the, the, that episode three really made TV history. And I was very fortunate to be a part of it. Were you kind of like, well, it's the last season anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> or were you, you know, somewhat devastated? No, I wasn't. I was very happy. I was happy that the character went out with an incredible amount of integrity. I was very happy that I was called upon the responsibility to be that one character that's breaking good while mm -hmm. the whole show was breaking bad. I love that the character flipped the archetype, you know, became iconoclastic and in a way that made him iconic. And he represented sort of true love and, and sacrifice and integrity. And to start off as a character that was, as you say, a career criminal when you first see him, and then ends up being such a heroic and operatic and tragic figure was a dream come true. Is it weird that in some ways, I don't want to say it was a happy ending, but he went out on his own terms and he went out kind of getting to accomplish everything he wanted in it and sort of sticking it to, to the others um, that it was like sort of, I don't know, maybe optimistic even. Well, the way I look at it is these aren't real people. They're, they're symbols, right? They represent something. In the, iconog in the iconography of the character, he wins. He becomes, he basically goes from bad guy to good guy. And in a show about uh, justice and lawyers and morality, that's a win. When you're able to, to look to change the audience's perception of you from the very beginning and have them crying and cheering for you at the end. So I think in that sense, in the iconography, in the iconography of the character, he, he wins. He he wins. I mean, obviously, suicide is not a it's not a good thing. In this case, it's a sacrifice. It's a it's a touchy subject. But again, in the in the world of story, like Greek tragedy, that's a win. That's a heroic moment. It's also interesting to me that I think we finally see uh, the point of no return for Mike played by the wonderful Jonathan Banks, just as we're seeing sort of this redemptive arc for Nacho. Um, 
he's just one of my favorite actors and you share so many beautiful scenes, especially in that finale. Um, what does he like to work with? And, and, you know, those moments, you are really sort you're saying goodbye to your character and you're saying goodbye to your co-star. <laughs> I'm sure you felt that. Absolutely. There was a lot of life mirroring art. My, you know, my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer in season five. And I had to shoot those scenes trying to save my father in the in the TV world while my, my father, I couldn't do anything about it. And then after season five, my father passed away. And when we went back to season six, it was the first time for me to shoot without my father being around. And there was a lot of, of that happening during that season six and season five. Um, Jonathan Banks is taking his final curtain calls to an unbelievable career. And I, I am taking my, I'm doing my opening night. So as he's, as he's on his way, you know, in his last, you know, hopefully 10, 15 years or whatever it is, whatever roles, I know he, he wants to retire soon, but whatever he's on, he's on the, he's at the end of his unbelievable journey. And I was coming in at the very, very beginning. So you had the energy of an actor who was, oh my God, this is opening night. And, and an actor who was like, uh, I've done this for 50 years, you know? So our energy dynamic was really fun like that. You also, i sorry, I should say Nacho has these really emotional phone calls with his father. And I was just, I was blown away by how um, impactful those scenes were and thinking that I don't even know if you're acting opposite an actor in those scenes. You could just be talking into a phone. What was it sort of like to shoot those where your scene partner isn't in front of you? Well, thank you so much. You know, it's funny. I've done that a lot, actually. In the in the in the video game monologue that that opened up my career, I was playing to a tennis ball. There was nobody in the in the room. When the phone call in episode three, there was nobody there as well. I was playing to an ex off camera, and the AD Rich was was reading the lines off camera, and the final monologue as well in the desert. Um, the the camera was was panning in. Uh, and there was an X on the camera, so I, w I didn't have any other actors behind the camera. I was doing it to the X. And um, I, I feel, I, I don't feel it really makes a difference. I think if you've made your preparation, then, you know, I mean, ideally you'd be working. I guess here's what I'm going to say. It depends on the scene. Mm. But the phone call scene, it was better for me not to have the actor there because I'm hiding from him what I'm actually living so he wanted me there for his coverage, which was great. So, I, I mean, I don't want to ramble too much, but I hope I answered your question. Yes, no, absolutely. Yeah. Was the final scene in the desert the final thing you shot as Nacho? No, it was kind of like towards the middle of the episode three. It wasn't the last thing. I think the very, very last thing I shot was the oil. I was going to guess that. <laughs> yeah, dipping into the oil was the last thing. It was one of the last things I shot. <clears throat> I think it was the, I think the, we did the stuff where I jump on the oil tanker first and then the, the stuff dipping in the oil was in the studio. And I think that was my last day. Oh God, are you still finding oil in places? I mean, I know it probably wasn't really oil. <laughs> no, it was, it was, a, there's this fun thing on Instagram that I just posted that explains everything mm -hmm. of what it is. And it's a, it's a mythicil or something. It's a vegetable based uh, thing that you can drink and eat. It's like a milkshake. And um, that was so much fun. I, I love I love being all immersed in a character where it's kind of physical and, and emotional and it's it's got all these elements to it. You're literally immersed in that scene. 
Absolutely, hundred percent. You're diving into it. You got. There's no way back. You know, and it's like an hour and a half um, uh, turnaround because you got to wash, shower, then change clothes, then you got to redo the makeup and all that stuff. So it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's logistically a, a very challenging thing to do, especially when you have costumes and makeup and all that stuff. How many times do you think you shot that? I don't think we did it more than twice. We couldn't afford to. It would t- it was it would take like two three hours just to, to to do it once, do the setup, come back, do it again, and then to do it a third time would take another hour. I feel like I heard a story. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that when you shot the final confrontation in the desert, people sort of paid their respect to Nacho. Was it with T-shirts or that that was uh, it was just a, a, such a surreal episode. Um, the there were so many crazy things that were happening. And um, that day when they were shooting, the, when the cameras were on the, the actors, when they turned the cameras on me, there was a sandstorm. So we didn't shoot any of, the, of, my, of my coverage on that day. When I went home, lightning struck the tree in front of my house and it fell and covered my driveway. I couldn't get, I couldn't get home. I couldn't get into the, the, I couldn't park my car. Then the next day, the crew showed up. They all had nacho t-shirts and they had uh, teardrop tattoos. And it was just such a, you know, I knew people loved the character, but I didn't know how much it meant, how much he represented to people. And it was a really uh, moving and, and celebratory moment, you know. Mm-hmm. You might have already answered this, but what was the most challenging scene of this final season for you? The most challenging scene. I mean, you know, all scenes to me, as much as I... As much as I sometimes, I'm, I'm not sure about saying this, but I, I really feel to me all scenes have the exact same importance. Whether I'm just picking up the phone or whether it's a huge monologue, I always approach it with the same amount of care. I mean, and sometimes, you know, caring is not caring. It depends on the scene. But I would say, you know, the, the, the ones that you look at as an actor and you go, these are very important would be the phone call scene and the desert scene. Mm-hmm. Those were very important. And with the phone call scene, it was very important for me that whatever came out, came out, that I wasn't going to ask for or push for anything or same thing with the, with the ending. You know, I think I, when you see big scenes, you kind of want them to be great, but I think the, the best thing to do is to say, no, make them be true. And that's enough. That's all you got to do. Just be true. Don't be great. Be true. You mentioned that people have recognized you on the street as Nacho after uh, episode three. Were, were, you know, were there a lot of tears when people would see? Oh you? man, it, it's just um, you know, I, I I think the amount of people that recognize me now is 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 a bit overwhelming. I I would say, but the amount of love that I received makes it all worthwhile. And and I have to be honest, I feel really grateful. You know, I don't know what I've done to deserve this, but. Um, I just feel very, very lucky and, and I feel responsible. I like that word because I realize, you know, you can work really hard, you can have talent, but there's an element of it that's out of your control. And when it happens to you and, and, and you play such a beloved character on an iconic show, you realize, you know, you're, you're in a position where you should give back. So in interviews like this, I try to be as like, as honest and as helpful for whoever's coming, coming up, you know. Um. How hard is it to be on a show like this where everyone wants to know what's going to happen? Or maybe people don't want to know. 
actually. Because... I would say most people don't want to know. I had to. I had to sort of almost convince my manager to know what was happening because I was like, well, you got to know what's going on, you know. So people almost don't want to know. I would say that's the that's the uh, the spoilers are more on people's minds than wanting to know. Do you know how it ends? Yes, I know. You do? I know. I do. Yeah. He told you? Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, they're all friends of mine and I'm on the show still. And, you know, so, yes, I, I know how it ends. And um, it's it's a, an unbelievable season. It's our best by far. Oh, my God. I cannot wait. Yes. Um, so what's up next for you? I think you can probably afford that theater now to do Hamlet if you want. I, I would love to. I think Hamlet is something that's that I've always wanted to do. Um I'm not sure. I'm. I'm. We've got a lot of offers coming in. I'm interested in genre television, genre film and television. I like sci-fi. I like action drama thrillers, maybe westerns. So we're looking into what the next right step is, and um, our business is open. So whoever's watching out there, give us a call. With all, with all those genres you just mentioned, I was like, you know, Westworld encompasses all those genres. You should be a cowboy on Westworld. Yeah, there you go, cowboy. I mean, the, what we shot on um, on um, the season six of Nacho is kind of like a Western. That yeah. character is very much an anti-hero sort of uh, last um, seven samurai type uh, character. Well, I can't wait to see what you do next. I'm going to congratulate you on a beautiful season, beautiful six seasons, honestly. And remind everyone, you can watch almost all of the episodes of Better Call Saul. Rest of season six will be out later this year. Thank you so, so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.